0: Psalm 101, and Alan's going to come to preach to us from this psalm shortly. Psalm 101. I will sing of your love and justice to you, Lord. I will sing praise. I'll be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. The one whose way of life is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Amen.
1: Thanks, Wellesley let's pray as we as we come to God's word father God we thank you for all that you have accomplished and we commit to you all that you will accomplish in and through us we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds now to understand afresh what you would say to us from your word this evening we thank you for the promise that when you're Word is preached, it will not return void. So we pray that you would speak now and that your word would accomplish what you intend. In Jesus name, Amen. When life changes, how do you feel? Excited? Anxious? Nervous? motivated whether you're hoping to be the next prime minister to be missionaries in training in Kenya whether you're dreading or looking forward to the holidays over the next couple of months or as we consider the future of the church or if like David you're moving into another phase of life how do you feel? David's psalm provides a good model for us when we want or need to take stock of our situation, our priorities, our values. He calls it a song in verse 1. Equally, we can call it David's prayer. It's a prayer for God's help and enabling in his future role and kingly service we can't be certain exactly when he wrote this psalm. We don't know and it doesn't matter that we don't know. What matters for us is that David has given us helpful pointers to consider wherever and whenever we find ourselves moving into a new phase of life, whatever that looks like for you and for me. David begins his song by coming into God's presence thoughtfully, reflectively, in an attitude of prayerful praise. So often, we don't do that. We rush in from whatever it was we were doing. In a rush, we pour out our thoughts, our prayers, our agenda before God, and then we rush on to the next thing that needs to be done. Yes, David does have an agenda that he wants to bring before God, but before he does that, he takes time to remind himself and to remind us of the character and nature of God and therefore why his agenda is of any interest or relevance to God. He begins verse 1 I will sing of your love and justice. Without God's love and justice there would be nothing for David to sing about. In fact, none of us would have anything to sing about and, and we wouldn't be here in church. Why not? Well, because the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God set out the glorious standard of perfection he would accept in the Ten Commandments. But if you know anything of David's life, you'll know that he broke many of them. But the good news of the Gospel is that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When David was confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan, he confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. In different ways, but like David, we've all sinned. And like David, we who are Christians have all admitted I've sinned against the Lord, and the Lord has taken away our sin because of the sacrifice he provided on our behalf in Jesus Christ. This is the love and justice that David is singing about. And isn't that worth singing about? That although we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God demonstrates his own love for us, in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah! What a saviour! Throughout his song or prayer, David sets out in his agenda the high standards or goals that he aspires to. Many times he states what he will or won't do. Was David a hypocrite because he came to fail so completely in living up to those high standards? Well, no, it's not hypocrisy to have a standard so high that you can't completely meet it. Hypocrisy is when you have one standard for yourself and a higher standard for others. But imagine the standard that David would have lived down to if he hadn't first sought God's help in prayer to try to attain these high standards. Whenever we embark on a new venture, a new area of service, a new phase of life, we too should review the task ahead and set ourselves high standards in what we plan to do. Of course, when we set worthwhile standards, we'll need God's help to achieve those standards. And if, like David, we fall short, we must confess our sin and look to God's loving justice to restore us and for his enabling to help us to be the best that we can be in his service. Look how David longs for closeness to God. In verses 1 and 2 he says, I will sing praise to you, when will you come to me? There's not only a longing for God's presence, but an expectation expressed as well. Do we have a similar longing and expectation? We know God's presence through the Holy Spirit as he ministers to us. When we sing, when we pray, whenever we open our hearts to his enabling. And through his enabling, we too can set and can achieve high standards. It's not arrogant of David to say in verse 2, I will be careful to lead a blameless life no he's he's speaking as the holy spirit leads him through the holy spirit david is saying that he aspires to live up to god's standard of perfection in all he does and if or when he falls short he'll trust in god's loving justice to restore the closeness of their relationship. Alongside the aspiration to lead a blameless life, David goes on to say in verse 2, I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. If a blameless life speaks of the intention to be perfect in all he does in his actions... A blameless heart speaks of David's intention to be perfect in all that he thinks, desires, plans and hopes for. In other words, David is committing his whole self, body, mind and spirit to God and to his service. And he's committing to that, not just when he's under public scrutiny, But also in private, in his house, he says, I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. In about 1900, F.B. Meyer, the pastor, evangelist and and friend of D.L. Moody, commented on this much better than I could, so I will quote him. He said, This is the hardest place to walk in perfectly. It seems easier to walk perfectly among strangers than in one's own house. But you may rest assured that a man is really no better than he is to his own. You mustn't gauge your worth by what the outside world thinks and says. Understand that in the home life, God is educating and training you for the greatest victories. There you are learning the deepest lessons in sanctification. You need not run to conventions, sermons and holiness meetings. If you would resolve to walk in your house with a perfect heart you would discover how far from perfect you are and how you are the least of his saints. David discovered the truth of this on a spring evening as he relaxed on the roof of his palace. He saw a woman bathing. You know how events unfolded. Instead of looking away, David asked his servants about her. He discovered that her husband was away, so he had her brought to him, and he made love to her. She became pregnant, he arranged for her husband to be killed, and she became another of David's wives. And although they lost this child in infancy, their next child, Solomon, became Israel's greatest king. Yes, David aspired to high standards. And yes, he fell short. But when David recognised and confessed, I've sinned against the Lord, God showed both justice and love. Not only towards David's house, but also to his kingdom. Although we also sin and fall short of God's glory, he still loves us so much that instead of justly punishing us for our sin, he looks at Christ's death for us and says, justice has been served. Christ died for us. Hallelujah. What a saviour. David identifies things he will avoid if he's going to live blamelessly he sets out to distance himself from anything that he calls vile or evil exactly what that looks like for us well that will depend on our situation it could be to avoid a position of trust it could be not exploiting the vulnerable It could be to avoid corruption. It could be to avoid reading, watching or listening to certain things. Alongside this, David recognises the need to be careful who he associates with. He says he will keep distance from those who are perverse, slanderers, haughty or proud. Who do we associate with? And who do we need to disassociate from? If someone's behavior, character or nature is unhelpful to you, what should you do about it? We fool ourselves if we spiritualise the association and say, "But, but I'm taking the gospel to them more often than not it's the lowest denominator that becomes the common bond not the highest it's always easy for someone to pull you down to their level it's almost impossible to pull someone up to your level unless of course the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart and yours By contrast, David identifies those who will help him to live well. Those who are faithful, and those whose walk is blameless. Who do we surround ourselves with? Do we value spending time with our Christian brothers and sisters? If we miss a church service or other meeting, do we feel... Incomplete or empty. In the same way that if we spend unhelpful amounts of time with the faithless, we will come to share their values and life view. When we spend time with Christian brothers and sisters, when we read Christian literature, when we watch programs that support Christian values and life view, or when we listen to sermons online or Christian radio stations, we are built up in our faith, and we're better able to minister to those around us, whoever they may be. Do you notice David expects his Christian brothers and sisters will minister to him? So attendance at church or other meetings isn't just about ourselves being built up. It's also about us building others up as we minister to them. By our presence, we minister to each other. And the more time we spend with each other, the more we build each other up and are built up in our walk of faith. Having committed to conduct the affairs of his house with a blameless heart in verse 2 David now sets the standard he requires from those who will live or work in his house But the problem that we have perhaps is that we don't always have choices about who we live or work with do we? In the book To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee's character Atticus Finch is reported to have said, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. We may have to live with members of our household who don't share our Christian values. Or perhaps you have colleagues at work or at school who practice deceit or who speak falsely. How can we live blamelessly in those situations? And if we're fortunate that this isn't our situation, this isn't our experience, what can we do to help others for whom this is the daily reality? Well, it goes back to encouraging each other, to ministering to each other as we meet and share together regularly. The more we meet, the more we share, the more we will open up to each other and so the better we can help one another as we understand and pray into each other's lives. David began his prayer singing of God's love and justice. As he rules from the city of the Lord that is from Jerusalem it's now his turn to dispense justice as God's anointed judge David vows to cleanse not just Jerusalem but the whole of his kingdom do we share David's passion to see the wicked silenced and evil done away with wherever we can bring influence to bear. Do we? Do our actions bear that out? As the saying goes, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Instead of doing nothing... What practical actions can and should I, should you, should we be taking to silence the wicked and for evil to be done away with? Yes, we know we're never going to live in a perfect world, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't aspire to these things. David wasn't perfect, as we've seen. But recognising God's love and justice... David's prayerful aspiration was to do everything that he did to the highest possible standard, with God's help. What about me? What about you? Yes, we too have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because Christ died for us, we've been blessed by God's love and justice. With God's help, do we prayerfully aspire to do everything that we do to the highest possible standard? And do we do that as a witness to the wicked and evil world around us? I'd like to pray that we do, and I'd like to pray for God's help as we commit to doing so. If you'd like to, Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that in your mercy, in your love, in your justice, through Christ, even though we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, we can come before you. We thank you that we can aspire to do all that we do to the highest possible standard. Because with your help we can be the best that we can be. We pray that you would enable us to be an effective witness to the world around us. We pray that you would help us to bring a positive influence to bear where wickedness and evil are found. We pray that you would walk with us day by day and day by day you would build us up as we serve you. We thank you that Christ died for us. We thank you that we have a perfect Saviour who did attain the highest possible standard. And it's in his name that we commit ourselves to you now. Amen.